This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 28, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Should juries know what penalties a defendant might face if they convict him? And is overwhelming evidence of guilt enough for a defendant to rationally not pursue a jury trial? In the case of Lee v. United States going before the Supreme Court today, the concept of jury nullification may loom in the background. Cato's Tim Lynch comments. This case uh, is about a person's right to good legal advice and their right to jury trial. Mr. Lee emigrated to the United States as a boy with his parents from South Korea in 1982. He then grew up in the United States. He became involved in the restaurant business in Memphis, Tennessee. Later, uh, the government accused him of being a drug dealer involved in the ecstasy trade. Uh, He then uh, asked his attorney for advice. Uh, He was particularly concerned about his being subject to deportation back to South Korea in the event of a conviction. His attorney assured him that if he took the government's plea deal, he would not be subject to deportation. As it turns out, his attorney's advice was wrong. And he is subject to deportation. So that is the basic subject of his appeal. He is saying that he only took a a plea deal because of his attorney's advice. Everybody agrees that advice was wrong. So he wants his conviction to be overturned so that he can either renegotiate a deal with the government or go to trial. So the issue here is, because as you say, the, the fact of the attorney's advice being incorrect is not in dispute. How does this get at the idea of, you know, you are entitled to competent uh, legal representation? Right. The Supreme Court has said that when you're facing uh, serious jail time, you have a, a right to an attorney and not only a right to any attorney, but to have good legal advice and good legal representation. Now, people file appeals all the time saying that their attorney faltered at trial or made mistakes, and so they want their convictions to be overturned. They hear those types of claims on a regular basis, and the courts have to decide in which instances they're going to grant new trials or overturn convictions. So they kind of have a what lawyers call like a two-part test. The first test is whether the attorney did make a mistake, uh, whether he did falter in his representation. That happens all the time. So they have a second test is whether or not really would have made any difference in the outcome of the trial or the outcome of the representation. So the defendant really has to show that he was prejudiced in some way. Now, in Lee's case, uh, all parties agree the government concedes that his advice on the deportation question was just flat out wrong, incorrect. So we move on to the second part of the test is whether it would have made a difference in his case. Was he really prejudiced? And the government is arguing that, well, look, um, even if Lee uh, goes to trial, the evidence against him was quite strong. So he's likely to be convicted and then he'll be subject to deportation again. So they're like, this case should stay as it is. He, his, his conviction shouldn't be overturned. He shouldn't get a new trial. Lee's attorneys are saying that it would definitely have made a big difference. Uh, deportation was one of his primary concerns. He was got the incorrect advice about it. And even if it's a long shot, uh, he should be able to get uh, a a new trial and be able to go to trial if that's what he wants to do. The argument being made by the other side here is essentially uh, your conviction is a foregone conclusion. Therefore, 
this particular violation of your right to counsel isn't that important. Is that essentially what they're arguing? Well, they're saying that he got bad legal advice, but yeah, they, they kind of look at the record and they're like, well, the evidence against this particular guy was, was overwhelming, so it really wouldn't have made a difference in his case. We filed a, a, an amicus brief in this case because the subject of jury nullification did come up in the appellate court's ruling, and they said basically... In Lee's case, the evidence against him was strong. The government had a witness that was prepared to testify that he had purchased drugs from Lee. They searched his apartment. They found drugs in his uh, in his apartment. So the government was saying the evidence against him was strong. Therefore, if he went to trial, he was probably going to be convicted. And therefore, again, we shouldn't overturn this case on the basis of his arguments. And they kind of said, well, the only chance he had was jury nullification. And the government wasn't going to prepare to send the case back uh, for the mere possibility of jury nullification. And we thought it was important to file a brief in this case to come to the defense of jury nullification because that is part of what a jury trial is all about. There's lots of instances where, as far as the government's concerned, They've got evidence, and that means the person is going to be convicted at trial. But sometimes juries come to a different conclusion than what the prosecutors think is the proper outcome of a case. So we wanted to bring the good scholarship on jury nullification to the attention of the Supreme Court so that they would take that into account when they decide what the proper legal outcome is in the Lee case. As you note in the uh, description of your brief here, it was Alexander Hamilton who argued as defense counsel in 1804 that it is up to the jury to decide facts and the law, and it is in the deciding of the law that the nullification power comes from. Exactly. There's a lot of overwhelming evidence that we have put forward uh, in our brief from some of the scholarship that uh, Cato has published. We published a, a big book on the subject by Clay Conrad called Jury Nullification, the Evolution of a Doctrine. The thing is, it's a, a lot of lawyers, when th through their legal training in law schools, when to the extent to which jury nullification comes up at all, they're instructed that it's a discredited doctrine. It's something that um, is almost like, like an underhanded tactic that uh, attorneys use. And so whenever we discuss jury nullification, these lawyers who don't know much on the subject, they fall back on their legal training and they say, well, jury nullification, that's wrong. They you say, know, juries are finders of fact, Tim. Yeah, finders of fact, they have nothing to do with the law. And so what we have to do is to tell them that their training uh, has been uh, inadequate and uh, we have to bring the good scholarship that is out there during nullification to the attention of law clerks, judges, lawyers, our attorneys in the Justice Department, other academics to get them to rethink this subject because they really don't know the whole story. If juries are not... Uh judges of the law in, in, a, in that particular instance where they're serving on the jury, uh, why have juries who are average citizens? Um, because that seems to go to the core of why we have jury trials. 
Well, in most cases, the juries are uh, asked to resolve factual disputes. You know, the uh, defendant may have witnesses that say, this is what happened, he acted in self-defense, whereas the other, the witnesses for the prosecution may be saying, no, it wasn't had nothing to do with self-defense, he attacked my client, or he attacked my brother or my friend. And then the jury has to listen to the witnesses and kind of decide among themselves what the facts were. But there are plenty of cases where the jury is expected to look at the law that's being applied in the case and to come to a conscientious conclusion as to whether or not it would be just to convict somebody in instances where there's extenuating circumstances or situations in which the jury has concluded that just the application of the law to this person in this situation would be unjust. So even if they're technically in violation of the law, uh, they should nevertheless come back with a not guilty verdict. In our brief, we give an example of a guy who was uh, a convicted felon. He was out of prison. He got into a dispute with his wife. His wife had pulled a gun on him because she was angry with him, put the gun to his head, and he took the gun away from her. He knew that it was he couldn't leave it in her hands or something bad was going to happen. And he knew he couldn't possess it because he was a felon. And under the rules, felons can't possess guns. So he walked the gun to the local police station to give it up, doing the right thing. And the government turned around and prosecuted him for being a felon in possession of a gun. This guy wanted to go to trial and wanted to say he did the right thing. He shouldn't be prosecuted and go to prison in the circumstances of his case. He also got bad legal advice. His attorney told him, look, you are a felon. There's no question about that. You did possess a gun. You admitted that. And he told him there was really no legal defense. So you should take uh, the best plea deal that they could arrange, and he would, would unfortunately have to go to the penitentiary. This went up uh, on appeal, and the court did conclude that he had gotten bad legal advice. Uh, there it was a justification defense that he could have taken to a jury, and, uh, and his conviction was overturned on that basis. And we're trying to bring these types of factual situations to the attention of the courts because they will be impacted. It's not just about Mr. Lee and his situation. It affects all different types of people in drug cases, firearms offenses, and, and, and the like. So there will be widespread implications beyond what happened to Mr. Lee. So for, for Mr. Lee specifically, though, uh, will the jury, if he does go to trial again, will the jury be apprised of the full range of consequences that he faces if he is convicted. A lot of times uh, judges and prosecutors uh, or prosecutors will fight very hard to have certain uh, truths uh, kept from the jury. That's right. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, that's why uh, the, that's one of the arguments that will probably come up in the oral arguments in Lee's case is that that information will be kept from the jury, so it makes it even more likely that he will be convicted. Therefore, there will be no different outcome in his case. Um, but he may, his attorneys may be able to negotiate a different plea offer. There's uh, other amicus briefs are pointing out lots of other cases where uh, defense attorneys are able to negotiate different types of plea deals. People are 
people subject to deportation and effective banishment from the United States, people who have been here their whole lives and are afraid of going to a country where they have no ties, they may not even speak the, the native language, they're willing to serve more jail time in the United States so long as when they come out, they can remain in the United States rather than be subject to deportation. So there's lots of examples in other amicus briefs where people have been able to negotiate those types of arrangements. That's probably going to be the best thing that uh, Lee can hope for. But you never know. He, he may be able to go to trial, and he still might be able to get an, a not guilty verdict. But it is a long shot. What does the reanimation of jury nullification look like as when as applied when when prosecutors understand that a whole lot of information um, maybe uh, must be presented to the jury that the jury can say that defense attorneys can suddenly argue look this guy is technically guilty but to you the jurors I say this person shouldn't be convicted because in, you know, may, maybe he did the right thing in a case and the, the law uh, was not meant to deal with this situation. What does that look like in terms of changing the calculus for uh, defendants, for defense attorneys, for prosecutors? Well, if jury nullification is reinvigorated as a doctrine, which is what we're hoping for, it will have a ripple effect throughout the criminal justice system. There will be cases that will never be uh, proceed from an arrest to an indictment because prosecutors know that is lurking in the background. For the cases that do go forward, there will be also a ripple effect on the charges that are brought against lots of people. These are effects we'll never see, but we'll see charges not filed against particular people or dropped as they get closer to trial. They will have that type of an effect. For those cases that do ultimately uh, go to trial, uh, then we'll see different types of arguments by the government and by uh, defense counsel, and we'll probably see more, more acquittals uh, uh, by juries because defense attorneys are able to bring more information uh, to their attention. In the Lee case, what we're hoping for is, you know, in the years preceding the landmark Second Amendment ruling in the Heller case, we had a few justices like Clarence Thomas offer just a few paragraphs in other firearms cases where he would say things like, this issue isn't properly presented or in this case, but in a future case, we'll have the opportunity to discuss whether the Second Amendment uh, protects an individual right to keep and bear arms, and then he will drop some citations to scholarship on that subject. And I think that's what we're hoping for here, because in the Lee case, jury nullification isn't the centerpiece of the case. It's lurking in the background. And I think with our brief, one of the things that we're hoping for is to get the attention of the justices who take the original understanding of the Constitution, the original understanding of jury trials seriously, and maybe we'll get that type of brief concurring or dissenting opinion in the case saying that in a future case we should reexamine the doctrine of jury nullification. I think that would really help to advance um, that doctrine in this case if we were just to get that and then in a future case we could move the ball even further. Uh, in the direction of reinvigorating jury nullification. In his uh, confirmation hearings, uh, Tenth Circuit Judge uh, Neil Gorsuch talked 
fairly extensively about uh, about the the rights of the accused and uh, at least seemed to uh, take those ideas very seriously. He talked about visiting prisons and understanding fully what it means to to send someone away to prison. Is there any indication uh, what he might do in terms of uh, applying the original understanding of a jury trial to circumstances today? It's hard to say based on statements like that, but he's definitely a a prospect on the court. He has a lot of the same uh, legal inclinations as Justice Scalia. And I used to see Justice Scalia talk about jury trial, you know, in, in environments like law school conferences and that sort of thing. And he would always make a point to underline the fact that the reason why the founders thought jury trials were important is that they were separate from the government. They were an important check on the government. So he really got that. And I think he would have been sympathetic to all of the writings. Uh, you know, you mentioned the, the, the quote from Alexander Hamilton. There's other plenty of quotes from John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and many of the others. They considered to be you don't find jury nullification, that term, in the Federalist Papers or back in those early legal writings because they considered what we call jury nullification part and parcel of what a jury trial was all about. So I think people like Justice Scalia, Justice Thomas, anyone who takes the original understanding very seriously uh, would be sympathetic to these arguments. And there's also, I should say, some prospects for some of the justices on the left side of the spectrum, Justice Sotomayor. Uh, in certain um, events outside of the Supreme Court has also indicated some sympathy with what the doctrine of jury nullification is all about. So there's, there's a number of prospects on the court. Tim Lynch is the director of the Cato Institute's Project on Criminal Justice. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.